everyone, and welcome to the Model Railway Show. I'm Trevor Marshall. And I'm Jim Martin. Trevor and I are your hosts for this fast-paced little program that in the weeks, months, and hopefully years ahead, will examine the many ways that model railroading is one of the world's best all-round hobbies. We'll be talking with people whose names are household words in the hobby, along with the unsung doers and thinkers who keep the art of model railroading moving ahead. First up on the Model Railway Show is one of the big names in our hobby, especially if you're a narrow-gauge modeler or enthusiast. Here in Conversation with Jim is Bob Brown, the editor of the Narrow-Gauge and Shortline Gazette. In spite of the internet model railroad magazines that are starting to float around in the ether, there's still a place for something more tangible, something you can hold in your hands on the deck on a summer afternoon or in an easy chair by the fire. And I confess that one of my pleasures is a deck chair, a cold adult beverage, and a copy of the Narrow Gauge and Shortline Gazette. So it's a pleasure to welcome to the show, may he live forever, Gazette editor Bob Brown. Bob, thanks so much. My pleasure. Now, I'm not a serious narrow-gager, but I'm going to tell you right off the top, I subscribe to the Gazette because, for me, it's real eye candy. I just plain like the look of it. And I'm wondering, maybe this is a good place to start. How did you come to design a look for your magazine that's held up so well over the years and with so few editorial changes? Well, uh, I have to thank Sharon Olson, our art director, for doing this. Uh, She's been with us over 30 years, so there's a, a consistent art style there, and she's devoted to the magazine. That, that's why it's been so consistent and so fresh, because she brings her enthusiasm of design to the magazine. I like the fact that probably half or more of the front panels of the magazines are paintings rather than photographs. To me, that uh, sort of ties in with the art of model railroading. Was that a Sharon idea or a Bob idea? That's a Bob idea, and I'm very fortunate in having many artists who want to have their paintings on the cover of the cassette. I have far more paintings than I can get on the cover. And some people like to like to have photographs of models, so what I do is I alternate, but I, I tend to lean towards the art because I agree with what you said. There's something, I don't know, something about art on the cover of the Gazette. It kind of makes the Gazette what it is. Well, it's timeless, too, I think. Uh, I think so, too, yeah. yes. And this started back with the fine lines? Yes, I started with a, a Ditto Master magazine. Uh, the kids in elementary school had all their worksheets done on Ditto Masters. It's kind of a little purple reproduction system. And I started with that and slowly moved into printing. And after 11 years, we moved into a professional magazine. So it's slowly grown, yeah. which was just the way to do it. We didn't jump into it. I think in my days, they were called Gestetners or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's even lower than mimeograph. <laughs> mimeograph, that's the word, mimeograph. Yeah. Thank you, sir. <laughs> this is even lower than that. <laughs> well, it looks fine now, I'll tell you. I wish I'd yeah. been there from the beginning. I actually started reading your magazine back in 1982, and a friend of mine had an article published, and uh, uh-huh. that's when I discovered the Gazette, and I've never missed an issue since. Well, that's great. Yeah, Thank you. There's a real sense of family when I read your magazine. Uh, sadly, guys like Dick Andrews and Al Armitage are no longer with us, but we've got Mallory Hope. Farrell and Harry Brunk and Charlie Getz, Jim Vale and the like, you have to have some solid friendships there. Yes, I do. There seems to be a desire to be part of the Gazette, and I'm fortunate that good people want to be part of the Gazette. Uh, Dick Andrews, I'm told, was actually in the hospital on his hospital bed writing his last column. I mean, there's a real dedication, 
Al Armitage quit after 120 issues. Charlie Getz has been in every issue except one, which I think is the longest-running column in a model railroad magazine. Jim Bill has been with me almost 30 years. Mal Farrell was writing for Fine Lines. And Harry Brunk, you know, he quit after 100, 100, 120 uh, articles, and we've put them together in two large books. And, uh, and now he's writing again. So they, they seem to be wanting to be part of the magazine, and I hope part of that is friendship to me. Good thing you mentioned those books. That's Benchmark Publishing, isn't it? That's correct. That, that's our, our book publishing arm. And we've done Up Clear Creek and more Up Clear Creek. That's all of Harry's articles that have appeared in the Gazette. Yeah, it's, it's, it really is an amazing run. It's a fantastic book, yeah. books. Is the Gazette still a scratch builder's magazine to the degree it was, say, 25 years ago? I'm thinking back to guys like Gary Nash and Mick Greenberg, articles like that. I think think it still is. I think we still have a high level of scratch building. Uh, There's a lot more ready to run, but that's mostly in the way way of motive power. And uh, and most of the scratch building is now done uh, on structures, sawmills, mines, and things like that. Hmm. So I, I would say we still have quite a bit going. Go to a narrow-gauge convention and go into the contest room, and you'll see some fantastic scratch building. And uh, so I, I think it's still popular. But keep in mind, there's much more ready-to-run. It may be that the fact that you can buy beautiful ready-to-run locomotives now gives you more time to scratch build beautiful buildings. So I, I, I don't know. I'm getting a lot of scratch building material for the magazine. Yeah, that's a good observation, really. Uh, if you yeah. had to scratch build everything, you'd never get done. Uh, that's how the old days we had to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to mention your wife, Irene. She's been yes. with from the start? Yes. The role she plays what? in the magazine. Now, we, we, I didn't want to have this conversation end without her name coming up. No, she, without her, it would die. She's devoted her time to running the magazine. She's on the computer right now uh, doing all the nasty subscription work and all that. Mm -hmm. And without her, there would be no Gazette. Absolutely. There never would have been one. I taught school. And when we took over the magazine, uh, I was still teaching school. And she stepped in and began running it. And that's been 32, 33 years. So she's a very, very important part of it. You know, I, I personally like the time. I, I, I guess a lot of model railroaders, if they aren't already, do become history buffs through their research. I personally like the time you take in the Gazette to look back on the historic narrow-gauge modelers. Tell us a bit about the narrow-gauge museum that you're putting together. There's no longer a narrow-gauge museum being put together, to be honest. But what we're doing, uh, the National Model Railroad Association is uh, going to establish a uh, scale model railroad exhibit at the California State Railroad Museum in Sacramento. I've designed it, and I'm on the committee, and the only thing we have to do now is raise the money for it, and you will be seeing a fundraising program starting shortly, and we hope to have a narrow-gauge portion uh, in that exhibit. The idea of the exhibit will be to present scale model railroading to the public, and then down the line, we have a, an old foundry building we can put a museum in uh, at the CSRM in Sacramento. Now, that's probably beyond my lifespan, and that's raising quite a bit of money. But that's what we're hoping to do, and hopefully there will be a, a, a narrow-gauge wing in that museum. But I, I, I have anything to do with it. There will be a lot of narrow-gauge in the Scale Model Railroad exhibit in Sacramento, which we hope to kick off next July at the National Convention. But there is no narrow-gauge museum okay. underway. There was an effort to do
do it, but it quite frankly fell through. Okay. Am I incorrect in understanding, though, that uh, people, when they want to donate something, you're sort of the guy they think of first uh, when they want to keep the history of the early yes, pioneers alive? absolutely. I have an enormous collection of early narrow-gauge models. These guys influenced me. And I like to feel I've influenced people. So I think their their model should be saved. And I, I have a, I have cases of them upstairs from Jack Alexander, Vince Ryan, uh, Edmund Collins, Al Armitage, uh, and, and many others that are lesser known. But people do send me stuff, and I do preserve it. And it is, in my will, preserved. All right. It, it will continue on. So if someone comes across a marvelous something that someone in the family built once, yes. uh, you're, you're a good guy to send it to. I'm a good guy to send it to, and uh, we can even give them a tax write-off, give them a letter so they can write it off on their income tax. Now, Bob, in my intro, I declared, may you live forever. Uh, Seriously, (laughs) we are all aging. People want to know, what plans for secession for the Gazette? Well, there aren't any right now. It depends what's going to happen. Uh, We are a perfect storm, I've been told. It's my take on the hobby. It's Irene's attention to detail in running the business, and it's Sharon's uh, superb skills as a graphic artist. Whether that combination can be put together again, I don't know. Uh, But the Gazette, surprisingly, is not a it's not a big money making venture. Uh, we don't pay ourselves salaries. Uh, at the end of the year, we put what's left over in our banking account. But to find people who would be willing to, to do that, I, I don't know. So I don't know what's going to happen. We had a couple of people lined up, but as they behave, they stepped back. So I, I don't know what to say. Uh, there is no firm plan, you know, in effect. I know what to say, um, Bob. Stay healthy. (laughs) Yeah, well, we are. Uh, We are both healthy. Uh, I just came back from, the reason we're interviewing now is I, I was at the gym this morning. And that's why I'm, I'm, I delayed the interview because I had to be back from the gym. Well, and, good man. Keep I, eating your Wheaties, Bob. Yeah, we do. We, yeah. we eat well. Irene feeds me well. And we're, we're in good shape. Bob, it's been a pleasure. My pleasure, too. Bob Brown, Trevor, and I look forward to having you back on the show many more times. Anytime you want to. I'm here. Thanks, Jim. And thanks, Bob. The Narrow Gauge and Shortline Gazette is one of those magazines that makes you feel like family when you read it. If you've never considered narrow gauge, give Bob and his crew a look. Even if you're a wide gauger, you'll find lots of modeling information between the covers, along with manufacturers who may not advertise in the other magazines. As always, check out the links on our website, themodelrailwayshow.com. Where would model railroading be without the standards that govern the hobby? Everything from wheels and track to the latest in DCC control systems. There's a reason that all these products from various manufacturers are compatible with each other. It's called the National Model Railroad Association, the NMRA for short, and it recently celebrated its 75th birthday. Here's Trevor with our next guest to take a look ahead. At the National Model Railroad Association's 75th annual convention in Milwaukee this past summer, the board of directors decided for the first time to appoint not one but two vice presidents. One of these is Bill Kaufman, who has been named the NMRA's VP of Special Projects. Bill lives in the San Francisco Bay Area and models the state belt in HO scale. He joins us to tell us about his plans for this new position. Welcome to the Model Railway Show, Bill. Well, glad to be here. Now, I've known you for several years, and you've always struck me as the type of person to step up to the task when you see that you can make a difference. Why have you decided to take on this role as VP of Special Projects? Well, it wasn't really very premeditated. I just saw the announcement come by and thought to myself, Myself, you know, that's something I could do. I've been uh, vice chair or vice president of my union of a number of nonprofits, uh, 
church groups, all that sort of thing, and just said, I can do that. I feel like, uh, you know, you ought to do something constructive with your life. I'm, I like to snipe from the sidelines, but I ought to do something more constructive than that. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll apply. Now, uh, what are special projects? Uh, where, where are you focusing your efforts on this? Uh, special projects are... <laughs> I think it's whatever I want, but I'm sure that Mike Brestel, would, uh, who's the president, would think it's a little more organized than that. What essentially happened, and as you mentioned, there were two, well, actually there was quite a number of people who applied, but two of us, Dave Thornton and I, put on presentations at the board meeting, and Dave's focused on working with the administrative stuff and how you know how to, how he could help with that mind focused on what's coming what the world is going to be like the uh the needs of the regions and divisions, the need to uh, be involved with the electronic media and all of that sort of thing. And so that's uh, been pretty much set up to be my bailiwick. I worry about uh, relations with the regions and divisions. I worry about relations with the SIGs. I worry about uh, how we're going to use technology. Uh, I seem to have acquired uh, the Boy Scouts somewhere along the line. Uh, so you're doing a little bit of everything then? I really am. It's, it, it is a jack-of-all-trades. Uh, I, I guess at the, the heart of it, though, the uh, the NMRA really is about the divisions and the regions. That's the, the boots on the ground and the, the grassroots level. What sort of things from the national perspective of the organization uh, do, do you feel are needed? How are you going to strengthen that relationship? We're, are, we're already launched into some of that. I mean, some of that started and in a way is how I got here. I had started up oh, about a year and a half, two years ago, a um, sort of self-help group for the uh, regions and divisions where we all focused on things that we could do for ourselves or within our own division rather than always worrying about what national was or wasn't going to do. And so... About a year and a half ago, the uh, National BOD, the Board of Directors, decided that uh, it would be a really good idea to have some sort of a handbook for, uh, especially for divisions on, they were kind of looking for one of these best practice sorts of things. So what sort of things will you be, uh, would be in that? What would, what would a division organizer find in there that would help them? Uh, they'll find a lot of things, but uh, one of the first things we had to recognize was that kind of this vision of there being one unifying best practice just doesn't work at all for a number of reasons. First and foremost is that all of the all of the regions are separately incorporated and some as 501c3s and some as not 5013c's. So they have the re, the regions themselves have different calls on their efforts that, that they're supposed to do. Some of them have educational responsibilities, some of them don't. So starting with that basic mess, then you move on to what's the divisions. And the divisions really are only mentioned a couple of times in what's called the executive handbook, which is the underlying document. Uh, one thing says they have to have two officers, which and they don't specify what two. It specifies that they have to have one meeting a year, and it says they can't charge any dues. And that's about it. And so people have gone wild with these things. There are some uh, divisions that are enormous and some divisions that are, you know, Joe and his friend Charlie and... Uh, 
And so uh, we've had to come back and just say, okay, what we can do here is describe what people are doing. Right. And say, you know, this this is something these guys are doing and they like it. And maybe you might want to think about it. Okay. Now, beyond the NMRA, that, that obviously that work is very important. But uh, you also mentioned when we were talking earlier about uh, outreach to other groups. I know you've been very involved in special interest groups. You, uh, you uh, moderate a number of news groups online. You're regularly published in the hobby magazines. You're going to be a very public face for the NMRA. What are your plans for connecting with members of those groups? Well, again, there's, uh, there is just so much out there. We just have to keep looking for these things. The, the special interest groups are the heart and soul you know, uh, of, you know, when we put something on, it's the guys who come out of the uh, LDSIG or the OPSIG or the uh, RPM or something like that who, who bring all the uh, kind of juice to these things. They've got all the good modelers and... So, again, like I say, just, yeah, I'm going to have to be out there and be the face of things, but it's, you know, it's not just me. It's, it, it's all of us working together to make this go. And what sort of message are you giving those groups? Is it, uh, I know that the NMRA's membership is hovering around 19,000, Are you looking for ways to tell the people in the layout design SIG or the op SIG or any of the other, uh, the historical societies, what the benefits are of membership? Is that the point of this or? Yeah, I, I think that there's that, well, I mean, this is all kind of one big ball of wax. Where we are, we are, we don't often think of ourselves as a community, but we really are. We're a community of people who think and talk and are interested in trains and in the small ones and and how they operated and in the big ones. And it's it's, it's all sort of interconnected. And I think that our role is to be sort of a coordinator to, to facilitate what other people are doing. I mean, the SIGs, we're not going to take over the SIGs. The SIGs are doing just fine, but we do have things to offer, like especially insurance, but we also have things to offer, like the um, access to our members for their shows. One of the things that I think has been the most successful as, as, a, as a sort of specific, rather than just sort of waving my arms in the air here, is uh, the Northern California uh, LD-SIG, OPSIG weekend, which uh, works quite well. The PCR, the local region, is one of the co-sponsors of that thing, and it provides kind of two ends. One is it provides the the SIGs with the insurance umbrella, which they really appreciate, and the other is that it provides the NMRA with access to all of their members, and the other thing it provides the NMRA is one more activity for its members that the NMRA doesn't have to really put a lot of energy into, okay. but it's still a real quality event. So I guess you can help with the organization of these things and with bringing different groups together, like the OPSIG and the LDSIG, and then the benefit for the NMRA is that the value of an NMRA membership is more because they get to go to these things. Absolutely. Just you know, and you get to know about them, and we provide publicity or help with the publicity. And you know, it's it's not like we're going to do this all by ourselves, or that they're going to do this all by themselves, because they they have slowly grown. They started off as four guys in a living room, and I think they had about 180 people last time. So uh, you know, that is for me kind of the model. Well, Bill, thanks for joining us on the Model Railway Show. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it. I'm still getting used to being some sort of a personage. I find that very surprising but uh, i'm sure you're going to wear that well <laughs> thank you very much you're welcome bill kaufman is the nmra's vice president of special projects 
Thanks, Trevor and Bill, and a happy 75th to all the folks past and present in the NMRA. Look for links to the NMRA website on our website, themodelrailwayshow.com. Well, it's time to close out the show. And we'll do so by thanking our technical advisor, Chris Abbott, for helping to beat the electrons into submission, Dave Woodhead for his great original music, and our web wizard, Otto Bondrack, for making us look good. Next time on the show, Andy Sperandio of Model Railroader magazine talks about the latest issue of Great Model Railroads. And Mike Hamer, whose great New England-themed layout has appeared in that annual, talks about encouraging the kids into our hobby. Till next time, I'm Trevor Marshall. And I'm Jim Martin. Thanks for joining us here on the Model Railway Show. 